Father, take my words and speak with them. Take our minds and think with them. And take our hearts and set them on fire with love for Thee. For Jesus' sake, Amen. In the colic for last week, the Sunday after the Feast of the Ascension, we prayed this phrase, Do not leave us comfortless, but send us the Holy Spirit. That's a challenging phrase. What does the word comfort mean there? I think we're confused by the word comfort. We think of a big, soft, easy, lazy chair for sleeping. But the word in the 16th and 17th century meant with strength. It comes from the prefix com, which means with, and fort, which is short for fortitude. It means with fortitude. A comfortable chair is a chair that strengthens you. Or, let's look at the Bayou Tapestry. This was a tapestry that was made in 1070 following the invasion of England by William the Conqueror. And in there, there's a lovely cartoon. Yes, that phrase was used at the time. A cartoon of three panels. It shows a soldier with his shield and his sword and he's going into battle. Then the next... One shows him dropping his sword and dropping his shield and running away in battle. And then the last one shows the bishop prodding him back into battle. He has picked up his sword and his shield, but the bishop has a spear and is poking him in the rear end. And the text says, there's a little wavy text that comes out for them, the bishop comforts the penitent. Not our expected word of comfort. But that is the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. We need in our lives the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. Years ago, the Pasadena Rose Parade stopped. All the world was watching on this occasion. It was the biggest event of the day on television. And one float stopped the whole parade. And the whole parade just came to a standstill. And the great irony of it was, it was the float sponsored by the Standard Oil Company. I just think that's a parable for the church sometime. We are the Holy Spirit power company, and yet sometimes we come to a stop because we've run out of energy. Before Pentecost, the disciples were afraid. They were hiding behind locked doors. After Pentecost, the disciples are spilling out on the street and talking nonstop about Jesus. Or again, before Pentecost, Peter's afraid to talk about Jesus to the servant girl in Caiaphas' courtyard. This is the early, early, early a.m. of Good Friday. And he's afraid of talking to a girl, for crying out loud, and a slave girl, at no less. A Jew prayed... Uh, several blessings, and one of the blessings that any male Jew prayed at that time was, God, I thank you I'm not a Gentile, I'm not a slave, and I'm not a woman. And here's two of the three was this person. And he was afraid to talk to this woman. But after Pentecost, we see Peter standing in the most public place in uh, Jerusalem, the temple, shamelessly and fearlessly proclaiming Jesus. The Holy Spirit changed them. The Holy Spirit changes everything. 
I have three points I want to say this morning. The first is that the Holy Spirit changes the character of the Christian. Our characters are what make us who we are. And our corporate characters is what enables us to be who we are as a community are. Um, there was a when Russia opened up right after communism fell, there were some visitors from the West visiting a, a Russian village, and they were intrigued by what they saw. And then one visitor asked the tour guide and said, were there any great men born in this village? And the guide stopped and thought for a moment and said, no, no great men, only babies. Now that makes the point that great Christians are not born Babies are born, and the Holy Spirit makes those people into great men and great women. This is by the fruit of the Spirit. We might have read as a lesson today, Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, that the fruit of the Spirit is, and then he catalogs nine virtues. They aren't the only virtues, but there are nine big ones. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Can you imagine a group of people who are imbued beautifully and powerfully with those characters? Because when you do, you see what God means the church to be. My bishop in Alabama loved to tell the story of two rustlers out west in the cowboy days. Uh, these two brothers were bad lot. They drank a lot. They ran with the wrong cloud, crowd. They did all sorts of things they ought not to have done, including once stealing some sheep. They rustled some sheep, and they were brought before the judge. People expected he was going to hang them, but he decided not to. But he would, as a punishment, brand them on the forehead, S-T, sheep thief. And then he said, go your way, learn your lesson, and be different. Enjoy the mercy that you've received. Well, one of them, it was just too much for him. After a few years of trying, he just went to points further northwest or southwest and disappeared. His brother stayed, though, and began to work there. And he bought a little place, and he grew that place. And he began to grow a herd himself in that place. He joined a church and became active. He got married. He had children. He became a respected citizen in that place. He was a pillar of that church. People who wanted help end up going to him as a great strength to that. And through the years, he did more and more. And when he died, the church was packed. And at the reception following, some young people in that particular town said, you know, he was a great man. He did so much good for me as well as others. I was curious. He always combed his hair down over his forehead, but I couldn't help but see he had those initials S.T. on his forehead. I was wondering what that stood for. And his fellow said, I'm not sure, but I think S.T. is the abbreviation for saint. That's the business that the Holy Spirit of God is in. The second point I wish to make is that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 19, some Paul writes to uh, the Ephesians, and he tells the story there of somebody who went there and said to the Christians who were there in Ephesus, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. They're baptized. 
They were, I guess in that sense, Christians, but they knew nothing about the Holy Spirit. And some commentators ask, why did Paul ask that question? Peter Kreft suggests an answer. Did he perhaps, did Paul perhaps find them sincere but vague, good but boring, nice but wishy-washy, in other words, lifeless? In the Nicene Creed, the third paragraph, we affirm, and I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of... I'm going to give you a chance to do that again. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of... It's a great word, isn't it? And in Greek, it's the word zoe. I was at Starbucks the other day. I often go to Starbucks. And they all know my name when I get the order. They go, thank you, Brad. That'll be 908 at the window. And I like to know their names back. And if I don't know their names, I ask it and I put in my phone so next time I go through, I can call them by name. And one girl recently, her name was Zoe. And I said, that's a beautiful name. Do you know what it is? She didn't know. It's the Greek word for life. Bios is the Greek word for biological life. We get the word biology from it. But zoe means spiritual life. God is about life. This shouldn't surprise us. The whole story of the New Testament is about life. John 3.16, you know the verse. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, etc., etc., that they might have eternal life. Or again in John 10, 10 John, Jesus is talking about Himself. He says of Satan that he, uh, he came only to kill, destroy, and steal. But I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Do we have life and have it abundantly? I fear so often we do not. My father's second favorite poet was a fellow named Vachel Lindsay, early 20th century poet. He wrote a lot of really interesting stuff. I like him very much too. He wrote this, It is the world's one crime, its babes grow dull. Not that they starve, but starve so dreamlessly. Not that they sow, but that they so seldom reap. Not that they serve, but that they have no God to serve. Not that they die, but that they die like sheep. You know, I did youth ministry professionally for 11 years, and the thing I saw most upon kids that sort of hang, hung around on the periphery of the crowd is that you people are boring. You say you want life and excitement, and then you walk away from the source of life and excitement. God came to give us Zoe, and to give it abundantly. And where is it in the life of the church? Oh, there's wonderful exceptions. I think of George Whitfield, who visited this country three times during his lifetime. A transatlantic voyage was an amazing thing. He did it three times. He was warned by well-wishers to slow down. He was preaching too much on the road, and he said, I would rather burn out than rust out. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, in the very beginning, the Holy Spirit brooded over creation. Okay, I like the King James translation there. Genesis 1, chapter 1, uh, verse 2. Brooded over the deep. You know, and it's 
I always think of Michelangelo looking at a big stone and saying, okay, there's something really beautiful there. And he brooded over it until out of that stone, <coughs> until out of that stone came a Pieta uh, or a, a, a David or a, a Moses. Just brooding over the beginning of a masterpiece. That's what God the Holy Spirit does, brooding over the baptismal water when a child is baptized and made a member of Christ. I'm going to make a masterpiece out of this person. And we step back from that. Or Genesis chapter 2, God breathed into man the breath of life. Or again, in Ezekiel 37, the story of the dry bones. We read that not too many weeks ago. And note here that this story about the dry bones is not a story about an individual enlivening, but it's a story about the revitalization of a community of dispirited Jerusalem. The whole community is being made alive. The solution to the deadness, God breathed. There's four words that speak to this in a very dramatic way. The first is the Hebrew word for ruach. And it can be translated wind or breath or spirit. Just to say ruach. And you've got to do a kind of a sound. And you feel the breath against your hand. Or the Greek word pneumatos, spirit. Pneumatos. We have a pneumatic drill. You can't even say that word Pneumatos, without feeling that air. Or the Greek, the Latin word, spiritus, spiritus. You feel the breath. Or our English word, breathed. It's about God's life going out from Him into us. This is the formulation model of St. Augustine of Hippo. He wrote, The Spirit is to our souls what our souls are to our bodies. That's worth thinking about. If you had a body but no soul in it, it's just a dead lump of flesh. But if you have a soul in that body, oh my goodness, you can run, you can dance, you can sing. But the soul is not vital alone. But if the spirit is to the soul what the soul is to the body, how alive would we be? Again, we die like sheep. Scripture teaches that there are two ways to talk about the Holy Spirit in us. One is with the verb indwelt. Every Christian is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But the more exciting verb is the word filled. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul writes, Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. I thought that was, when I was a young Christian, I read that for the first time, I thought it was the oddest, weirdest juxtaposition. Okay, don't get drunk with wine. But what does that have to do with being filled with the Spirit? Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. But we should know the answer to that. When the Holy Spirit came down on Pentecost, the people came spilling out on the street with joy. Luke loves the word joy. Luke uses the word joy more than the rest of the New Testament put together. If you have the Holy Spirit, you are filled with joy. And how did they appear to all those other people in the street like they were drunk? In fact, I have to say, (laughs) I think I said this in my first sermon, but when Peter preached the first sermon... The first line of the first sermon by the first Christian uh, preacher was, 
people of Jerusalem, hear us. We're not drunk. Now, you just got to love a religion that starts like that. I mean, you go to a lot of churches today and you expect the minister to get up and say, people of Springfield were not dead, but they were filled with joy. So remember that first sermon. And how can you know if you are filled? Well, two ways. First of all, other people will see it. Many of you have told me stories about wonderful spiritual moments in your life. And one of the results of that moment was other people have come up and said, there is something different about you. And that's a sign of the Holy Spirit. And secondly, there is the experience of wanting more of the Spirit. When somebody says, I want more of the Spirit, that itself is evidence that they already have the Spirit. That you want more of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 3, verse 8, Jesus is having His famous discourse with Nicodemus. And Jesus, speaking about the Spirit, says, "...the wind blows where it wishes, you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it's going." Again, that used to puzzle me. But has anybody here ever seen the wind? People say, yeah, I've seen the wind all the time. My goodness, I'm from Kansas. We, we get big wind gusts. But you know, I've never seen the wind. We're going to go up and have a picnic. And we're going to have a wind. One of the reasons I chose this spot was nice breeze blowing over the top of that hill. But we won't see the wind. We will see the leaves shimmering. We will see the branches swaying. We will see the grass flowing this way and that. We won't see the wind. We will see the results of the wind. And when you see the results of the wind, these leaves blowing down the street, these branches swaying, we know it's the wind. That's what Jesus is appealing to here. The wind blows where it wills. You hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. The Spirit is not to be known directly. The Spirit is known by the results of the Spirit's presence. Let's be careful how we say this. Being filled with the Spirit isn't about how much of the Holy Spirit you have. It's about how much of you the Holy Spirit has. I had a friend who gave me a wonderful definition of spiritual growth. He said, giving all of the self that you know to all of the God you know. You don't have to be there. You just have to be on the way there. It is giving all of the self that you know to all of the God you know. That could be done for the highest, greatest saint. It could be done for the little neophyte Christian who's just finding their way. But it's a good rule for both. General William Booth of the Salvation Army, when asked of his great success, and he was greatly successful, he changed England in a horrible time of its industrial revolution. He said, there is not much of me that is noteworthy, but what there is, He has. And He changed things. Lastly, I want to, my third point is join the flood of God's kingdom. Offer yourself to the Holy Spirit. In this service, say to God, the Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, do with me what you will. Change me. Lead me. Make me.
We pray every Sunday, every day, I hope, Thy kingdom come. Note that this work of God's kingdom coming is not primarily an exterior work as though some political system is there in place of God's kingdom. It is an interior work of the Holy Spirit working within you and within you and within you and within you and within you. And when all of that comes together, oh, the marvels that we see in our lives. I could tell a story, of, story about seeing that in the lives of people, but uh, I want to tell one about me. One, because uh, it's so personal, and two, because it's Springfield. Uh, I was in Springfield back in 1978. Oh my goodness, another century. Some of you weren't born, I know that. Uh, but 1978, I was doing a CPE program at St. John's Roman Catholic Hospital. Uh, we met for classes in the morning of about 12 of us. In the afternoon, we visited uh, rooms and, and, and patients. Uh, and it was training for pastoral, learning pastoral care. I was chaplain three times over the weekend for uh, the emergency room. I was up in my room reading a book. And the phone rang, and it was the emergency nurse, and she said, Is this the chaplain? Yes, it is. Uh, are you in the building? Yes, I am. Can you come down? Yes, I can. She said, Where are your clerics? We have a crisis. So I put on my clerics, a black shirt and white collar, although there was a change because the rule in those days, if you were not yet ordained a priest, you could wear the white collar, but you put a little black tab there, just a quarter of an inch. And people would look at that and they would know he's not really a priest, he's just a priest in training. Well, I don't think most people knew that, but anyway, we put the black tab on. I came down, and the nurse met me, and she said, looked at my tag, Chaplain Wilson. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, okay, we have a serious problem here. We have a boy in this room, uh, right here, whose grandfather ran over him with a ski boat. And his T-shirt got caught up in the, in, in the rotor. Uh, it, it pulled him into the propeller. It cut through the shirt. It cut through his skin. It cut through three, maybe four ribs. It cut into his lung. His lung is filled with lake water and with blood. And I said, okay, okay, I can pray for him. She said, well, prayer is good and we're grateful for that. But he needs to put his oxygen mask on. If he doesn't put his oxygen mask on, he could lose consciousness, go into a coma, coma, and he could die. And I said, well, I'm happy to pray. She said, again, prayers are good, but I need you to persuade him to put the mask on. So come on in and help us do our job. And she turned around without asking anything and walked away. She walked in the room. And I'm standing there thinking, oh my goodness. And I wanted to point to that little black tab and say, I'm not a real priest. <laughs> but that wasn't an option. And I prayed a prayer that I pray every time, literally every time I walk into a hospital room. I say, dear God, help me to help this person. That's the Holy Spirit. Help. Comfort. And I walked into the room and I stood at the foot of the bed. And there was... The mom sitting over here, and here was the sister back here. There was a nurse standing here, a nurse standing here, and somebody else standing over here. The little boy was sitting on his bed. He was about 11 years old, I guess. He had his uh, legs crossed, you know, Indian style, and he had his arms akimbo, and he was knitting his eyes at me as if to say, I didn't put it on for my mom, I didn't put it on for the nurse, and I sure as heck ain't putting it on for you. 
And I read that in an instant. I looked over here and there was a chair with a t-shirt over the back of it. There was oil stains on it. It had been torn. There was also a great deal of blood on it. It was the shirt the boy was wearing when he was pulled into the propeller. It also had a big display of the Star Wars. This was 1978 when the movie Star Wars first came out. And I said, Ah, I see you've seen Star Wars. He said, I sure have. I said, I've seen it three times. He said, I've seen it eight times. I said, it's a pretty cool movie. He said, it's my favorite. That's the greatest movie ever made. I said, I think it might be the greatest movie ever made. You know, I just love the characters. And I started reeling off, you know, Chewbacca and C-3PO. He goes, yeah, I just love him. And the way he talked, yeah, on the computer with the English accent, we just love that. And, you know, the mom's sitting here thinking, okay, we're all enjoying the movie review, but my son might be dying. Could we move on with the agenda? But we just kept going on with the movie. And I said, I hear a rumor that Darth Vader might be Luke Skywalker's father. He goes, yeah, I've heard that too. I said, do you think that's so? He goes, I don't know, but it could be. I said, yeah, it could be. I said, he is my favorite character. You know, I said, Luke Skywalker, come to the dark force. He goes, yeah, that is so cool. Well, the oxygen mask was laying on the foot of the bed, and I picked it up, and I put it on, and it was blowing air the whole time. Just continuously during this movie review, and I put it on and put it on, and then I said in my best Earl James Jones you know, imitation, Luke Skywalker, I am your father, come to the dark side of the force. He goes, yeah, that is so cool. And he said, here, let me do it. And I said, no, 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 I'll be, I'll be Darth Vader, you be somebody else. He goes, it's my mask. I said, well, I guess it is your mask. So I took it off and I handed it to him, and he put it on in his little tinny 11-year-old voice. He said, Luke Skywalker, I am your father. And then he turned to his mom and he said, okay, that's cool. And he kept the mask on. And I said, well, I understand you're going to have a procedure uh, a little while later. They're going to get you all sewn up and vacuumed out and all that great stuff. I said, but I want to pray with you right now and visit you tomorrow, and we'll talk more about the movie. He says, yeah, that'll be fun. So I held his hand and prayed, anointed him with oil, and left. The nurse followed me out in the hall, and she said, that is simply the most remarkable thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And this is a tough emergency room nurse. And I said, and this shows you how sinful I am, I said, hey, no problem, anytime, just give me a call. But the truth of the matter is, I had seen a miracle. I had seen a miracle. I didn't do the miracle. I was, in some ways, not even a participant of the miracle, but I was the observant, the witness of the miracle. And I immediately went up to that beautiful chapel on the top of the hospital and I knelt down to thank God, but all he could do was cry that I had seen the Holy Spirit of God save the life of a little boy. And I got to be part of that. Don't you want to be part of something like that? That's why we are invited to open our lives to the Holy Spirit of God, that we 
could see the wind blow where it will and hear the sound of it and know that it is the Holy Spirit of God giving life. Let us pray. Holy Spirit of God, come. Fill our hearts, fill our minds, fill our wills, and grant us the full experience of life that You meant when You created the world and meant when You sent Your Son, Jesus Christ, and meant when we were baptized, and meant when we came to faith, that that life might be ours. For Jesus' sake, Amen.